If you have your Bibles today, I'd like you to turn to me or your device, I'd like you to turn to me to Matthew 27. Communion is a very special service for me. And uh, it's a time for me to remember, time for all of us to remember. I love reading Matthew's accounts of the crucifixion, not because they're easy to read, but because they are so detailed. Matthew was an eyewitness. I wasn't there, but my sin was there, and so was yours. This is what sin created, but this is also how God loves. When Matthew writes this, it's hard not to be caught up with the details, the emotion of what he's writing having relived it again and again of what he saw. And this is what he recorded in Matthew 27, verse 32. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. And there they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, He refused to drink it. It was kind of an anesthetic, a painkiller. He refused it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed a written charge against him. This is Jesus, king of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right, one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you're the son of God. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said. He can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we'll believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. Father, it is um, hard to imagine these sights, sounds, and smells. But what's even harder to imagine is what Jesus was willing to do. To obey your will. To bring you glory. And to save us. The sign over his head could not have been more true. This is Jesus, the King. As we come to this table today, where you have asked us to come, as we eat this bread and drink this cup, help us to be changed today by this remembrance of the King who is our Savior. And we'll thank you in your precious name. Amen. Philip Rikers was uh, doing a sermon some years ago called Long Live the King. 
excuse me, his name is Philip Riken, not Rikers, Philip Riken. And in that message, he said, most kingdoms do anything they can to protect their king. This is the unspoken premise of the game of chess, for example. When the king falls, the kingdom is lost. Therefore, the king must be protected at all costs. And then he drew a lesson from history. During the Allied invasion of Normandy on D-Day on June 6, 1944, British Prime Minister Winston Churchill desperately wanted to join the expeditionary forces and watch the invasion from the bridge of a battleship in the English Channel. U.S. General Dwight Eisenhower was desperate to stop him for fear that the Prime Minister might be killed in that battle. When it became apparent that Churchill would not be dissuaded, Eisenhower appealed to a higher authority, King George VI. The king went and told Churchill that if it was the Prime Minister's duty to witness the invasion, he could only conclude that it was also his own duty as king to join him on the battleship. At this point, Churchill reluctantly agreed to back down, for he knew that he could never expose the King of England to such danger. Philip Ryken went on to say, King Jesus did exactly the opposite. With royal courage, he surrendered his body to be crucified. On the cross, he offered a king's ransom, his life for the life of his people. He would die for all the wrong things that we had ever done or would do, completely atoning for all of our sins. The crown of thorns that was meant to make a mockery of his royal claims actually proclaimed his kingly dignity even in his death. A death we are privileged to remember today at this table. Communion is our remembrance of the death of Jesus. He is the one who said, do this as often as you eat it in remembrance of me. The Apostle Paul, you remember, said, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Communion is a memorial remembrance of the suffering of our King, who is our Savior. And while eating this meal is significant, we were reminded at every communion that eating this meal will not save you. It will not earn you any grace. It won't get your sins forgiven. It will not get you into heaven. The only way to be saved from what sin has done, to separate us from God into a Christless hell, the only way to be saved is by coming into relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. That his death on the cross was sufficient payment for our sin. He was buried in the ground and three days later rose again victorious as he promised. He conquered sin, death, and the grave and he's alive today and he's offering hope and forgiveness and eternal life to those who believe and receive him. Eating this meal will not do that for you. Only by coming to Christ and believing in him and his death, burial, and resurrection can you be saved. But eating this meal as Jesus intended will serve to impress upon us again the significance of the death of our Savior King. In Matthew 27, we have the detailed account of what took place that day. And the sights, the sounds, and the powerful images of God in human flesh dying on a cross. And Matthew captures the horrors and the shame of crucifixion, the brutal beatings, the humiliation, and the relentless mocking of those who hated him. And in their attempts to mock his claims to royalty, they were actually affirming it. 
Pilate placed a sign over his head for all to see, verse 37. Above his head, they placed a written charge against him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. They taunted him to save himself, but of course they had no idea that he was working actually to save them. The king who would be their savior. And communion reminds us that Jesus is our savior king. And how did he save us? He's the king who saved us by the sacrifice of himself. Here's how Matthew said it in verse 38. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the son of God. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we'll believe in him. Philip Yancey once wrote a book called Disappointment with God. And in that book, he describes how the cross reveals the world that we have and the God that we have. And he told about a family he knew of in Paraguay. The father, a doctor, spoke out against the military regime there and all of its many human rights abuses. There is a price you pay for standing up for what's right. Local police took their revenge on him by arresting his teenage son and torturing him to death. Enraged town people wanted to turn the boy's funeral into a huge protest march to expose the injustice. But the father displayed his son's body in a different way to have a different effect he would show his son's body just as he found it in the jail. People, I can't describe to you what was written next about what they saw. But the boy's body was not displayed in a coffin, but on the blood-soaked mattress on which they found him. It was the strongest protest imaginable because it put all the injustice on a grotesque display for all to see. And no other protest was needed. Philip Yancey went on to say, isn't that what God did at Calvary? The cross that held Jesus' body naked and marked with scars exposed all the violence and injustice of this world. At once, he said, the cross revealed what kind of world we have and what kind of God we have. A world of gross injustice, a God of sacrificial love. All at once, the cross revealed what kind of a world we have and what kind of a God we have. A God who gives us a king to be a savior.
The mockers that day proclaimed the truth better than they knew. Matthew recorded in verse 39, those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself, come down from the cross if you are the son of God. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. As he, he saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will be leaving him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. Do you hear the words? Save yourself. Come down from the cross. He saved others, but he can't save himself. He is the king of Israel. Words intended to mock him, but God used to glorify him. Words and insults that Satan himself was hurling at the Son of God. And yet God was using all of those words to magnify the person of his Son. He saved others, but he can't save himself. Jesus came to give his life for us. He came to glorify his Father, to do his will. That's why he wouldn't come down from the cross. Because they were right. He couldn't save himself. And save us. Or save me. Which makes what they said next so significant. It's the difference between faith and unbelief. Life and eternal death. Verse 42. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. You see, in their way of thinking, kings didn't hang on crosses. The hang on a cross was the sign of being under God's curse. So how could he possibly be the son of God? But what they didn't understand was that Jesus was taking upon himself the curse that rightly belonged to them, that rightly belonged to us, that rightly belonged to me. Which is why Paul, who called himself the chief of sinners, wrote as he did to remind the Galatian churches in Galatians 3, verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole, on a tree, on a cross. They said they'd believe in him if he demonstrated his kingly power by extracting himself from the cross. But Jesus said the key to salvation was not his coming down from the cross, so they'd believe. The key to salvation was that they would believe while he was lifted up on the cross. John 3, verse 14, at the Last Supper, excuse me, John 3, verse 14, not the Last Supper. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Come down now from the cross, we'll believe in you. But God had said, no, you are to be saved if you believe in the one who is lifted up on the cross. It's why Peter so boldly proclaimed in Acts 4, verse 12, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. 700 years before the cross, God had already said that the king would be the savior. Through the prophet Isaiah, chapter 33, verse 22. For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. It is he who will save us. And when salvation is offered, we need to accept it because there is no other way except through Jesus to be saved. Do you remember eight years ago what was happening at this time in the fall? Billions of people around the world were captivated by this. A group of Chilean miners were trapped 2,000 feet under the earth in a tomb of stone. And they were desperate. 33 men. Max Lucado in his book Grace recaptured the moments like this. The collapse of a main tunnel had sealed their exit and thrust them into survival mode. They ate two spoonfuls of tuna, a sip of milk, and a morsel of peaches every other day for two months. They prayed for someone to save them. On the surface above, the Chilean rescue team worked around the clock, consulting NASA, meeting with experts. They designed a 13-foot-tall capsule and drilled first a communication hole, then an excavation tunnel. There was no guarantee of success. No one had ever been trapped underground this long and lived to tell about it. But now someone has. On October 13, 2010, the men began to emerge, slapping high fives and leading victory chants. A great-grandfather, a 44-year-old who was planning a wedding, then a 19-year-old. All had different stories, but all had made the same decision. They trusted someone else to save them. No one returned the rescue offer with a declaration of independence. I can get out of here all on my own. Just give me a new drill. They had stared at the stone tomb long enough to reach the unanimous decision. We need help. We need someone to penetrate this world and pull us out. And when the rescue capsule came, 
Every single one climbed in. And Lucado asked the question, why is it so hard for us to do the same? On the day Jesus died, the people stood and watched as God lifted up their Savior on a cross. They had no category for a king who would come to die. So they mocked him and they rejected the only one who could save them. But in their mocking, God proclaimed the truth that is still saving people today who believe him. This is Israel's king. He saved others, but he can't save himself. How right they were. Because he is the king who wouldn't save himself. Because he was dying for us. He was dying for me. People have asked me, Larry, when you do communion, you do it four times on a Sunday. Does it ever get old? Never. Because each and every time, this is not a ritual for me. This is a time to remember the one who gave his life to save me. In communion, we remember him who didn't come down from the cross until our sins had been paid for and all salvation had been accomplished. Which is why Paul would tell the Romans in Romans 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Or why Paul would later say in Romans 10, verse 9, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. A little over 40 years ago, I heard this message for the first time. That my God who is my king became my savior. That he was lifted up on a cross to pay for my sins. That he was buried in a tomb and rose again. And he was alive offering me hope, forgiveness, and eternal life if I would believe and receive him. Well, I did believe him. And Jesus came to live in my life. And I'm different. I'm saved. Are you? Seriously. Have you believed in the king who is lifted on a cross to be your savior? Who loves you?
He wouldn't come down from the cross. He wouldn't save himself because he was saving me and he was saving you. And this Savior King, this Jesus, said, I want you to come to a table like this. And when you eat this bread, and when you drink this cup, I want you to remember this bread is my body, and this cup is my blood. But I want you to remember it was given for you. So as often as you eat it, remember me, the one who is your Savior, King. My Lord, that's what we're here to do today. And I am really sorry for what you had to go through. And it isn't enough just that I say those words, God. I want to have a life that backs it up. There are many of us in this room today, many who are listening online right now, who are also very grateful for who you are and what you've done. Sometimes our lives get off track. We find ourselves forgetting and complaining and we find ourselves falling back into sin sometimes that we once asked you to save us from. Today I want you to know, God, that just being here, remembering you like this, is gonna help us to get those things right. And Lord, the truth is, some of us here today, some of us listening online right now, we don't really believe. We're like the people in the crowd that they had no place for a, a king who dies on a cross. But every word they proclaimed that day was better than they knew. This is Jesus the King. So, Lord, as we come to this table today, let our remembrance be honoring to you. And in some small way, I hope, God, that this touches your heart the way you've touched ours. And we thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen.